0: Let's unite our hearts in prayer before we get into our passage this morning. God of salvation, our Lord entered into his passion to raise us to life. In this holiest of weeks, help us to walk the way of the cross, that we may be raised in a resurrection like his, and dwell forever in you, eternal God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. We're at the end of Nehemiah, Um, so it was six weeks, seven weeks, and uh, boy, it's a very fitting ending. I was reminded that one of the illustrations I pull out from time to time, which I did earlier in this series, was this moment not long after I became a Christian at college, and me and my friends are sitting around. Saying, "Wow, I just can't wait till we, you know, can fine-tune this walking with Jesus." Um, and usually, when I share that story, there's a lot of snickers. Um, and the the reason why is because we all know that we never really feel like we get to that point where we're just fine-tuning. Um, <clears throat> we uh, we always have things to work on, um, and we have a tendency to return right to the same old issues over and over. And over again. And what we're going to see is the same idea, the same theme show up in Nehemiah. Um, And it strikes us as odd. It's a strange ending to this book because we want a nice, neat ending. We want a nice, clear way forward. We want to see them return. We want to see them rebuild. We want to see them restore that relationship. And we want to say, good, they did it, they restored. But then when we find, we get to the end, there's this reform, a reformation. It doesn't stop at just restoring that relationship with God. There's this constant reformation that needs to happen, that they have to keep returning to that relationship and nurturing it. Um, So this work of reformation is a continual process. They rebuilt the walls, they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt uh, the liturgy, the uh, religious services that they had. And then last week we read about their uh, repentance, and we prayed uh, as a congregation for you know uh, prayers of repentance as well. And then what happens after that is there's another joyous celebration, and they renew their relationship with God. And it's a very sort of Exodus sort of event. They're looking back to the story of Exodus, and they are seeing themselves coming back from exile, coming back to Jerusalem. that has been destroyed, rebuilding it, and they sort of envision themselves in the past, uh, in this, that same generation that comes back to rebuild. And in Exodus, there's this big ceremony about uh, renewing that relationship with God and entering into that relationship with God and saying, we are your people, a holy nation, And it's this big celebration. And so they look at that story. They realize that there's something similar happening with them. There is a huge celebration at the end of that. And so then we get to the end of these books. And it strikes us as very strange, the way that it ends. And I'm going to read one part of this. There's a couple parts that go together. And they're very um, repetitive. So we're only going to take one. We see Nehemiah 13, verse 15. In those days, I saw men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, and bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. Some men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing fish, all kinds of merchandise, they were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. And in Jerusalem, at that, not just in Israel, but in Jerusalem, the heartbeat of Israel, that town, that city. So, what's going on here? You know, There's this reform, there's this return to God, returning to God's ways for these people. They have been sitting in exile, they've looked back on their own failings as a nation, They've returned, they've renewed their relationship, and in the next chapter, they're not keeping the Sabbath separate, right? So this is Sabbath, and on Sabbath, is uh, this goes back to the, uh, the creation story, right, where God creates the world in six days and rests on the seventh day. Now, even the way I said that is quite wrong, actually. Uh, the rest is part of the creation, That is part of it. That's part of what's woven into this world is this need for rest. And I don't think that the creation is really truly finished until that rest happens. And so we see God do that. And so Israel said, that's what we're going to do as well. And that happens in Exodus where God commands them to keep the Sabbath holy. Holy is separate, something separate from the rest of the week. It doesn't look the same. And so they do this returning to God, Everything's happy. We're ready for a, you know, the book to end and move on and happy ending. And Nehemiah comes back. He's on a trip and they're not keeping the Sabbath holy. They're working. And it's a lot of produce. It has to do with money and commerce and all of that. And he's upset. It's like so quickly people turn around and just that relationship where there's so much celebration and there's so much joy that goes into that and so much, I'm going to do this. I'm going to return. I'm going to come back. You know, I'm going to fine-tune. I'm down. I'm at that point where I'm just going to fine-tune this. And they're just back to working on the Sabbath, just like any other day. The thing about Sabbath is it's also, uh, it's supposed to be a celebration. Um, This is a day where you celebrate creation. But also, and this is important, very important, is that it displays a certain amount of trust in God. It's a day, it's a time uh, where Israel makes time special. It's not just a place, like a temple. It's not just a people group. It's time itself gets set aside. And by doing that, we deny ourselves something. It's like a death. I can't be productive on this day. Whatever happens this day, I'm just going to trust in God. So it's an act of trust. It's an act of faith. It's saying, God, on this day, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to let you care for me. I'm going to celebrate this relationship that we have together. I'm going to focus on you. We're going to celebrate as a family. Get together. Eat. Have a wonderful feast. It's a very celebratory You know, day. And it's, we have a hard time with that. We have a hard time with that death to self. And in this case, it's a death to time. It's a day where I can't go out and make more money. And the people are doing that. And so it's one of those things that's very distinctive about Judaism. Um, I think it was considered a bit odd by other nations they have this day where you don't work, where you don't earn money, where you don't, have, you know, not trying to be productive or efficient. So, you know, I think they were seen as lazy at times. But it's all about celebrating God and resting and celebrating that relationship that we have. And of course, when we get to Jesus' time, we see that the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath is a really important day for them. It's a really important practice. And so, it's one of those things that they do that sets them apart. And in this section, we see three of those things. We're not going to go into detail on all those. One of those is offerings, giving to the temple to support the work of ministry. That had kind of slacked off a little bit and was starting to be abused. And so Nehemiah comes back and reestablishes that, the offering for the temple. Talks about some people that were ministers that had to go back to their regular jobs because there was no support for them to do that. Um, the other thing that came up, and we put this in our email by a sheer mistake, but it, there's this other section where they dissolve interracial marriages. That was a big blunder, putting that out there this week. That's not what we're talking about. I'm going to touch on that because it's one of those things that can be very misunderstood. Um, but it's all these things that in that time are distinctives. It, it's, it shows you who you belong to. And so when they stop practicing the Sabbath... We don't have that distinctive saying, here's who I belong to, the king and the creator of the universe. There begins to be no difference between them and anyone else. We get lazy on those distinctives that set us apart. As he goes on, he says in verse 17, so I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way? Wasn't it just the sort of thing that your ancestors did that caused our God to bring all this trouble upon us in our city? Now you're bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. And so he looks back to all this period of exile where they're kicked out of the land. They're they're allowed to be defeated by other nations. And this is a picture. You know how much I love Genesis and the creation and all that. This is a picture of this good creation breaking down. Everything that's if you think about creation, all it is is it's uh, differentiating things, differentiating night from day, earth from water. Animals in the sky versus animals on the earth versus animals in the sea. It's a a way of creating difference and then choice that goes with that. Here's a tree that's good and will lead to life. Here's a tree that will bring death. Your choice between distinctives. And when he looks back on this time where Israel is not living in their land and not worshiping the way that God designed It's viewed as this time where chaos, all these distinctives come crashing together and you can't tell us from them anymore. You can't tell who they are, where they live, where they're from, what do they believe. It's all been flattened out in the exile. And so when they come back to reestablish this relationship, it's reestablishing some of those distinctive traits. Here's what defines who we are and so it's a there is a recreation going on and when that recreation happens there's going to be differences there's going to be distinctives and choice and what's happening here is the people are just choosing to work like everyone else and that distinctive breaks down and it's it's easy. I mean, this is this is work. I mean, this is earning a living. Maybe some of these people uh, are struggling a bit financially, and they're wow, oh, we'll just we'll just bring a little fish. You know, we'll just do this. And slowly but surely that distinctive on setting that one day as separate, it just it kind of comes crashing back together. And he looks back on this and says, this is. This is what happened. This is what led to all the problems that we had as a nation. And that's why he's so upset. This lack of differentiation between us and them. And so as we look at the end of this passage, he says, Then I commanded that the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening, not to be opened, Until the Sabbath ended, I sent home uh, of my own servants, uh, I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates so that no merchandise could be brought in on the Sabbath day. The merchants and the tradesmen with a variety of wares camped outside Jerusalem once or twice, but I spoke sharply to them and said, What are you doing out here, camping around the wall? If you do this again, I'll arrest you. And that was the last time they came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and guard the gates in order to preserve the holiness of the Sabbath. And what's striking about this last paragraph, he he finishes with a prayer. Remember these deeds, God, have compassion on me, according to your great and unfailing love. What strikes me in this last paragraph is how important it is. So it's not, he's not just saying, hey, we've got to stop doing this. We've got we to worship on Sunday, uh, Saturday. He's setting guards. He's threatening to arrest. He's saying that this is so important that we're going to go to extra lengths to make sure that we keep this practice together, this religious practice, this holy practice, this spiritual practice. It's that important. We're going to set guards on the walls. We're going to arrest people. Sounds harsh. <clears throat> so he emphasizes these actions, emphasize the importance for Nehemiah. <clears throat> so we end the story with these, we end the whole book, Ezra and Nehemiah, one long book, with these three things, tithes, offerings, and inter-ethnic marriages. And him, it, it's just strange. Because we're like, what? I don't quite get it. Is this the, the happy ending to the book? Are they are, It leaves us with a question. Are they really going to choose God or not? Um, <clears throat> now, like, let me just mention this. Uh, because race has been an issue in our you know, it's, it's it's always been an issue, but it's really uh, come to the forefront in this past year, uh, among other things. Um, we read these stories. Um, we didn't. We're not reading it this morning, but Nehemiah commands these interracial marriages to separate, and we look at that. And there's two things I want us to remember. First of all, number one, in the story itself. There's no sense of ethnic superiority superiority in that. There's none none of this, I, we're better than you. It has to do with uh, looking back on their history, taking on the gods of other nations around them, and working to keep this reform pure. It's not about racial superiority, number one. But it can... I think, unfortunately, in our modern world, sometimes it's interpreted that way. Second of all, it's going to seem very odd to us to read about this. Okay, And it should. <laughs> it very well should. Because when Jesus comes along, one of the things that we see so clearly about his ministry is he points out the faith, the incredible faith that he's seen in the Syrophoenician woman, who's not Israelite. And we see all these things happen where the faith of Israel through the death and resurrection of Jesus is now busting out into the world. That this goes back to a promise to Abraham that all nations will be blessed by the descendants of Israel, namely Jesus. And so with Jesus and with the birth of the church, that ethnic divide is broken down. So yes, it should read very odd to us. And in other words, keeping those uh, ethnicities, uh, these ethnic groups separate, is not one of those Christian distinctives that makes us Christian, that makes us God followers. That gets broken down. But we have other things. You know, I think about Jesus, and if we're going to talk about things that we kind of let slide or whatever we see that Jesus does this same thing. He does does draw distinctives between followers of Him and those who don't. And one of the things we talked about this in our last series on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, it's not simply good enough not to murder someone. We can't hate other people. That's how you see between us and them. We don't do that. We don't live that way. We don't hate. One of the things we saw last summer, we're studying the book of Acts with uh, Ananias and Sapphira. They're bringing money to the church and they're offering it. And they say, hey, we sold some property for X amount of dollars. Here it is. And they were lying. And this was, in the book of Acts, it's viewed as a threat to that early community. Lying. So there's one of those distinctives. (laughs) We don't live that way. I think of uh, Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount says, Anyone who obeys these words of mine is like someone who built a house on a rock that can withstand storms. So it it defines for us what does it mean to follow Jesus? We follow his words, we align ourselves with him and his teaching. The woman at the well. Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well. He doesn't say you need to become Jewish. (laughs) What he says is there is a time coming very soon where God is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. It does not fall along ethnic lines. In Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Slave or free? Rich or poor? All or one? So we do have those distinctives. And as we finish this, I, I think we're challenged to consider those. We're challenged with the idea that we're just going to get to that point where we just find, we're just fine-tuning. No! We... We're celebrating a day where Jesus marches into Jerusalem and he's proclaimed as a king. We are for you, Jesus. We are for you. Hosanna in the highest. This is a national event. They're waiting for their king. They've got the Roman Empire ruling over them. They want to get them off their backs. They want a king. They want a Jewish king. Here he is. They're throwing down garments. He's marching over them. They're waving palm branches. That is like a national symbol. That's like waving for us, waving an American flag. That's what it is. It's not just some weird thing that they do. It's a symbol for Israel. They're excited. That's Sunday. On Friday, they're saying, crucify Him. Crucify Him. It's so fickle. (laughs) And it's so... Realistic, right? Yeah. So, at the end of Nehemiah, we have this kind of commitment, and it's a little bit ambiguous. (laughs) What are we going to choose? Are we going to draw distinctives? Are we going to follow the God? Are we going to, you know, and Sabbath working, that's an easy one. I'll just let that slide a little bit. And I do that all the time. I just let it slide a little bit. I just let it slide a little bit. And this is why coming back to Lent every year is so important. That one time a year for six weeks, we're choosing to say no. Because we've got to remember to do that. Because after a while, we start saying yes to everything. We say no to news. We say no to sarcasm. We're saying no to whatever and we draw those distinctives and easter every morning every sunday morning is an easter celebration but one time a year it's a big one (laughs) you know i might wear a tie i'm not going to do that but (laughs) we go out to eat there's a big celebration why because i don't think we really know how to celebrate (laughs) we got to remember to celebrate advent this anticipation that Jesus will come, that God will come in the flesh. It's important to remember that. And Christmas, that he's born. You know, all these things, they come back and around and around and around. And the time after Easter, Eastertide, where we remember that Jesus is king. So we look back to Nehemiah and we say, gosh, it's kind of ambiguous, their commitment. We look back to Palm Sunday. It's ambiguous. And we see this all over. Peter I will follow you anywhere you go. A few hours later, I don't even know that guy. I don't know who you're talking about. Judas. The Israelites coming out of Exodus. They build a golden calf, thinking that this is the God that delivered them. Nope. Jesus. Jesus in the garden. And here's here's our point right here. God, is there any other way we could do this? He's sweating blood. (laughs) Is there any other way? He is in distress. Is there any other way? And so we sit and wonder, is that sort of ambiguity going to happen again? And he says, not my will, but yours be done. And he chooses that path. That's the way he goes. That's the way he moves forward. So our king does suffer. He does ride in on a donkey, and he's a suffering king. It's an oxymoron. Servant king. Wicked good, right? (laughs) And thank God that he does that. Because when we are ambiguous, Jesus is not. And we return to Jesus. We return to that relationship. And we get renewed. And it's the love of Jesus who suffers for us that motivates us, that gets deep in our heart and that ambiguity and leads us to a point where we reestablish those distinctives in our lives. So we end this. Um, I have a quote. As we end this study, the text, as it has been presented, reminds all readers of the continuing need for commitment and the challenges, and challenges them to seek out those areas in their lives that call for reform and renewal. Sobering as this word may be. We're not meant to dwell on this pessimistic portrayal of the community. Their failure is, after all, only an example of the sin that pervades the human race and the reason that all attempts at lasting restoration of communion with God based on the law or religious practice are doomed to failure. The restoration of Jerusalem with its temple and walls was not the final fulfillment of the prophetic hope. The walls would not withstand subsequent attack, and the temple itself would later be destroyed. But from the loins of that sinful, broken community, something new would appear. Not entirely a restoration of the old, but a new departure, a totally new avenue of approach in which God himself in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ would fulfill the demands of the law where Israel could not. It is to this final fulfillment of the prophetic hope that Ezra and Nehemiah ultimately points. They point to Jesus and his decision at that point to remain faithful, to remain defined as the Son of God, following God, in all things, and so next week we'll be here to celebrate that glorious day, three days after that moment where he was tempted to say, "I don't, I think I'm going to fudge on this one," and he was tempted. He was truly tempted to say, well, "How about my will? Maybe we'll just let this slide a little bit." He's got a good following. Can probably get out of the city at night. Keep his teaching ministry going on out in the countryside, evade authorities, but he doesn't. He doesn't. So on Palm Sunday, uh, you know, we're screaming out "Hosanna" and praise God. But this year, I want us to really think about what are those areas in our life? What comes to mind where we can we tend to fudge? <laughs> We tend to let it slide, um, and we let ourselves drift into this place where we're not defined. You know, I mean, this this is odd. We come and we sing together. I don't do that anywhere else. That's an odd thing to do. We pray together. We open up the story together. We tell children stories up here. I guess that happens probably all the time at school, but not on Sundays. It's a strange thing. We worship on this first day of the week, the day where Jesus is resurrected. All distinctives. And all those internal things that Jesus talks about, the issues of the heart. Where is that Reformation needed? As we enter into Holy Week, as we approach that day, that Good Friday, where we also are tempted to say, my will, not your will. And let's place our hope in Jesus who uh, chooses God over all else. So let's get John up here and we'll uh, continue singing. God, it's a strange day. It's a strange day because we know how this week goes. We know how it goes in your public teaching. We know how it goes with your own disciples as you ask them to pray with you. They say, yeah, yeah. We'll do it. We know how it goes when people you you're walking in and people are praising you. There's this hope. Yes. It's going to happen. Jesus will establish his kingdom this week. And it gets established in a a way that's so different than we expect. That's so much more revolutionary than we dreamed. That's so much more universal than we had hoped, that all people, regardless of gender, ethnicity, social standing, are welcome back home to you, back from a place of exile and separation, and back into a place of home, restoration, reconciliation. be with us this week as we remember Jesus' suffering that we may reflect on our lives and our devotion to You not just in our out- outward expression in our uh, religious practice but also in our hearts may Your Spirit check us strengthen us empower us and draw us home to You we ask in Jesus'